Triathlon Show für everybody, welcome back to another episode of That Triathlon Show, the podcast presented by scientifictriathlon.com. I'm your host Michael, and on today's episode I interview Adam Kirin, the founder of Zero Friction Cycling. Adam has become well known for his content about how to minimize friction in your dry train, including uh, how to do chain waxing. He's also the main independent tester of chain lubricants, uh, but he also consults with companies and helps them uh, produce better products. So there are many strings to his bow, and we'll get into all of that and uh, tell you how you can improve your friction and save watts and save money in that way uh, in the interview to come. But before that, big thanks to our sponsors, Precision Fuel and Hydration. If you're a regular listener, you probably know them as Precision Hydration, but uh, they have updated their name and their brand to reflect the fact that they have been doing products and services related to both hydration and nutrition for a long time now. Everyone sweats at different rates and with different sweat sodium concentration levels, so you need to apply an individualized hydration strategy. And your fueling strategy will depend on factors like duration and intensity, so there is no one-size-fits-all to neither fueling nor hydration. You can head to precisionfuelandhydration.com and use their tools like the free online sweat test and the quick carb calculator to understand your fluid, electrolyte and carbohydrate needs during training and racing. And then you can further to that book a one-on-one video consultation with the team to refine your strategy. As a listener of the show, you can also get 15% off your first order of fueling and hydration products by using the code TTS22 at checkout on precisionfuelandhydration.com. And thank you to Roka. Roka produces exceptional quality triathlon wetsuits, trisuits, swimskins, goggles, performance sunglasses, as well as prescription eyeglasses and sunglasses. If you want to go faster in the water or on the bike, then consider getting a Roka wetsuit or a trisuit. Uh, or if you want to have a more comfortable, functional and stylish pair of eyeglasses, then look at their eyewear range. Today I want to highlight their tri-suit range, the Gen 2 Elite Aero. And this is a suit developed and perfected based on wind tunnel and real-world testing on both the road and in the water. It works with your Roka wetsuit in that it has the arms up technology to provide maximum mobility when swimming. And on the bike, it is designed to provide the optimal balance of aerodynamics, function and comfort from a sprint to full distance uh, triathlons. Visit roca.com for slash TTS for 20% off your entire Roca order. Now, without any further ado, let's get into the interview with Adam Kirin. Welcome to That Triathlon Show, Adam. How are you doing today? Uh, very good, thank you, Michael. Thank you for having me on. And uh, yeah, give me more practice at talking all about my fun little area of nerdiness in cycling. So... Yeah, I, I think you find uh, found another good audience for this. I, I think that uh, lots of listeners will really appreciate what uh, we're about to to discuss here. Uh, I just want to say for the listeners that uh, I, I'm a little under the weather, and uh, so I will kind of try to talk as little as possible and, and let Adam do most of the talking. Uh, if you hear my voice, that it's a bit different, and that's why. But uh, Adam, uh, please start by introducing yourself and your background to the audience. Sure. Yeah. So I'm uh, yeah, Adam Karen from uh, Zero Friction Cycling. So uh, Zero Friction Cycling, I started um, pretty much a bit over five years ago now. And really, I started to sort of 
pick up the torch a bit from where Friction Facts left off. So um, a number of your listeners, uh, hopefully you sort of remember Jason Smith of Friction Facts, and he really started, um, I guess, a lot of the thinking on this side of, of cycling by um, being the first really to do a you know really accurate uh, testing for bicycle chain lubricant efficiency. And that really started to shine the light, um, you know, in that area a lot. And he expanded that obviously to, um, you know, bearings, uh, you know, so bottom bracket bearings and uh, pulley wheel bearings and pedals and a whole bunch of stuff. Um, and but when he was uh, bought out by Ceramic Speed, so they sort of took over or, or were keen to bring him on board. Um, I still felt there was a lot to be done in this space. So his testing was was amazing. As uh, you know, obviously super accurate, but. Um, a lot of the, I guess, the, the you know bigger points that are pretty relevant for us all cycling around and, and for racing is that, you know, what happens with our bicycle chain lubricant once we're actually really riding that lubricant for, you know, a longer period of time. So, um, you know, the, the tests were quite short, sort of, you know, pretty much five minutes in a, in a clean lab. So I really wanted to know uh, much, you know, a bit deeper. So what lubricants are going to actually stay low friction as we're cycling around and racing um, and you know, sort of what is going to what tends to make the great lubricants or the best lubricant choices for us. You know, whether you're riding on the road or tend to be riding off road. I do a lot of sort of mountain bike and gravel and cyclocross as well. Um, and that you know, those lubricant choices may differ depending on what your type of riding is. So, um, zero friction cycling is set up really to expand on that um, initial groundwork by. Uh, friction facts and uh, start to get a lot more detailed information about the lubricants in, I guess, a, yeah, a bit more sort of real world use case, so that we know, you know, hopefully what we can choose uh, for our particular riding and racing. Yeah, no, that's that's perfect, and uh, I'll link to zero friction cycling in uh, the show notes, so listeners can have have a look. There's plenty of really good in depth how to guides there uh, to get stuck into. Uh, let's start by just discussing a few uh, the different methods or options for chain cleaning and lubrication. Uh, can you give an overview of what they are and the pros and cons of each? Yeah, so I guess the, well, the chain cleaning and lubrication are a bit separate. So chain cleaning is probably the, the really uh, good place to start in that um, uh, one key message I've been trying to drive home a fair bit uh, lately because it sort of keeps coming up um, contradictory information from some major media sites uh, recently is that step one is to make sure that you have removed the factory grease on your chain. Uh, so, yeah, there is a lot of uh, information that's been put out saying that the factory grease is amazing and that you should leave uh, that on. And oftentimes that's sort of sponsored by chain manufacturers as part of their marketing as to, you know, why you should maybe buy their chain because they say their factory grease on the chain is, is amazing stuff. Um, it might be amazing for it to be in a package for a long time it might be a you know okay lubricant if you were to ride in a clean lab, but factory grease is pretty terrible stuff if you actually ride outside. Um, every particle of contamination and airborne dust is going to stick to it on contact, and so it it yeah they don't start super fast and they will quickly get pretty slow and abrasive and start wearing your chain and drivetrain. So uh, yeah, you do need to get rid of the factory grease really is step number one, and it's much much easier to do that if you do it from brand new. So if you've got a brand new bike or you've bought a brand new chain, then it's really easy then to clean that factory grease off uh, of that chain when it's new. Once you ride a factory grease chain, you will basically need to up the amount of solvent or degreasing that you need to do to clean that properly by, by quite a lot. So uh, really is best to be done first. 
Um, in terms of how you want to do it, uh, I'm a big proponent of off the bike. Uh, really, that's the really the best fail-safe way to properly remove the factory grease. So factory grease is pretty stubborn stuff. Um, and so removing it from the bike, being able to put it into a container of you know, a couple of hundred mil of solvent, uh, what you use is uh, for the solvent. So in Australia, we recommend mineral turpentine. Um, it's a cheap uh, solvent and it's a really you know, strong organic solvent. It doesn't cause any risks around uh, what's called hydrogen embrittlement. So some uh, degreases can cause corrosion stress for the chain. What's, uh, so something called hydrogen embrittlement. So you, you can't soak it for too long. Uh, so there's no risk of that with, with something like mineral turpentine. Um, and then once you've done sort of a first initial soak, it's just following up with a couple of, um, a couple of further baths of agitated uh, solvent flashes of the same. And then you just move to what's called methylated spirits, which is basically just pure alcohol pretty much. So that alcohol rinse is to make sure there's no film left behind from the cleaning. Uh, so when you're cleaning your chain, it's pretty much always to do it a, a really proper job. It's a two-step process. So one is cleaning off the factory grease. And two is making sure there's no film left behind post that clean um, so that whatever you're going to then apply. So a lot of the top lubricants, be it an immersive wax or a lot of the top um, drip lubricants that you're going to put on the chain, they absolutely work best if what's in there can bond to clean and clear chain metal. And that's going to happen a lot better if, you know, that doesn't have to try to fight through a film that's left behind from uh, from the cleaning. And this is where a good solvent, say, like mineral terps is is bit more advantageous because it's easier to ensure there's no film left behind if you some people clean their chains using petrol or diesel or you know a lot of degreases and that's it and they will leave a pretty heavy film of themselves behind and so if that's what you sort of finish with um, then what you apply may not really have the best shot of bonding to that nice clean clear chain metal and work uh, as well as it's supposed to work so yeah, off-bike, uh, cleaning the factory grease from you, off-bike, um, doing the two, I guess, understand those two parts, that one part is cleaning the actual um, degrease, oh, sorry, the factory grease off, and the other part is making sure there's no film left behind. Um, I've got all those instructions on my, uh, based on my sort of uh, website, and if you're in a different country and they don't stock what's called mineral turpentine or uh, methylated spirits, you can basically take that to your sort of local hardware store and ask them like if you if you failed on google trying to find out what the equivalent is in your country then <clears throat> take that to your local hardware store and ask them what's the equivalent um here at this hardware store for these two products and they they will very likely have something that's either the same just called something different or um you know something that is basically very similar to which will be great uh you can use degreases cycling degreases and so on all that's they, they, they do it um, perfectly fine. It's just uh, they cost you a lot more than the, I guess you just do a sort of organic solvent from a hardware store so you can save a lot of money on the cleaning just by going that route. Um, and, yeah, if you can't do it um, off the bike, um, so if you've sort of got a new bike with a uh, brand new chain and you're not uh, confident to remove the chain from the bike, uh, you can do it on bike. Um, really, you're looking then at, say, a spray-on degreaser or probably my best recommendation would be to use something like UFO Clean. So UFO Clean is a really um, high-quality, high-level solvent that is designed to do a really good job at cleaning the chain for like a chain coating type lubricant or a wax like, say, UFO Drip or any of the top waxes. So 
And they, they do sort of demonstrate using that by spraying the UFO clean uh, onto the chain on the bike and then rinsing it off. So uh, it's just obviously it's a lot more expensive to do that. Um, and I'm still, um, yeah, I'm still just a strong proponent of off-bike clean because that way you're pretty much guaranteed you're definitely going to do a 100% uh, job every time that you're not going to leave some factory grease behind deep inside the chain and in between the pins and the inner plate shoulders for instance so um yeah if you don't do it sort of properly or thoroughly um when it's on the bike um so they're they're pretty much your two main options re uh cleaning uh that's covering i guess a new chain uh if it is an existing chain uh the clean for an existing chain is really going to i guess depend on what your next step is going to be post-clean or what the aim is uh, for that chain post-clean. Um, if you're just doing a maintenance clean, um, then it's really up to you as to, you know, what level you want to go to on that clean. Uh, so do you want to do a you know, perfect job, remove the chain and flush it through with solvent until it's coming out, the solvent's basically coming out as clear as what went into the container? Uh, and that's something that you need to do if you're going to move that chain into something like immersive waxing or, you know, a good chain coating type lubricant that needs to bond to the chain. Um, or if it's just general maintenance that you're going to be reapplying some more wet lube on, you know, you might be happy enough just to sort of, you know, run some, you know, degreaser spray through the chain or something similar to that level and be happy that you've reduced the, you know, amount of contamination that's in the chain a bit, but not perfectly. And then you're moving back to applying your uh, lubricant choice. So, yeah, that, that gets a bit more personal to, to somebody's particular, you know, sort of how they want to tackle it. Yeah, and, and that gets into the, the different options for what type of lubrication mm. you're actually, uh, you, you might be doing. So can you cover the different options that, that are relevant here? Yeah, sure. Yep. I'll try not to go on too many because there's a, there's a few. Um, mm. So, yeah, I guess we've got sort of probably one of the main uh, ones, obviously, is a wet lubricant. There's lots of types of that. So won't go through all the all the different sort of subcategories, but, you know, wet lubricants are, are make up a pretty major demographic uh you've got your what i would say your traditional dry style lubricants or dry type lubricants so this would be something like your uh say finish line dry or um muck off c3 ceramic dry um something like that and uh, i'll i'll mention at this point that the traditional dry type lubricants like that are a product that um myself and many others really don't recommend at all uh they can be popular with some because they you know sort of are cleaner on the outside so they work by basically being mostly carrier that is designed to uh, evaporate off leaving behind some lubrication inside the chain um so they look clean but uh, the problem is they leave so little actual lubrication behind that they typically deliver very very high wear rates so you see a lot with those lubricants just people pretty much ripping through their chains and, and group sets in a very low number of kilometers so your traditional dry type lubricants would say, you know, we'll put a pin in that sort of point here that you yeah, recommend avoid. Um, so you've got your wax emulsion lubricants, which would be like your squirt, um, smooth, uh, newly released Grax. And these are a blend of um, wax types that are basically, mostly they're in a water-based carrier. So, and again, that water uh, is will then mostly evaporate off over, say, an overnight set, and then you're left behind with the, the wax on the chain. 
And a lot of those lubricants can be quite quite good. They do have some sort of little quirks to to sort of work around, but overall they can be a pretty good choice. Um, and then you've got really now, I guess, a uh, main category is say your what we're going to call your chain coating type lubricants. So these are often a wax-based lubricant as well. So this is say like your UFO drip, your Silka super secret drip, uh, true tension, sorry, true tension, tungsten all weather. And they are a different type of wax altogether. So they're usually a very similar wax base um, that's emulsified in a carrier. They're similar as they're basically trying to emulate um, your top immersive waxes in a bottle. So uh, very, it's a very highly refined wax and they've got some pretty special friction modifiers. And so, and these set, they've got a different carrier as well. And they tend to set to basically what we call a solid chain coating. So your other wax emulsion lubricants will set not to a true solid. They'll set to more like a paste, uh, whereas these uh, lubricants are really aiming to set and do a very good job at setting to like a true t- uh, solid, like a like an immersive wax would once that's cooled out of the wax pot. So they're, they're some of the sort of your, your latest generation stuff. So they tend to cost a bit more per bottle, but they're generally very fast and deliver super low wear rates. So you sort of get back what you and, and a lot more what you pay for in terms of the cost of the product in the bottle uh, and then obviously immersive waxing is uh, is one that's um, yeah joyfully sort of in the spotlight a fair bit these days I think we've sort of been slowly ramping up the the profile of of immersive waxing and and so immersive waxing with the top immersive wax like uh, molten speed wax or silk or hot melt uh, they're really uh, I guess the number one recommendation for those that find that immersive waxing might be for them um not only just for sort of race day but day in day out they just deliver you know the lowest sort of you know friction and wear that you can get from a from a lubricant um so if you can handle popping a chain off and putting it into a pot um and then i think that's probably the main types uh really so i mean yeah within the wet lube category there are so many sort of subcategories you do have some you know obviously aerosol um lubricants as well which we I haven't specifically tested any aerosol uh, products yet. Uh, that's on my list. Um, but in general, they're in the not recommend at this stage and, and unless I find one that surprises me. Um, again, just from what you tend to see with, with customer bikes, uh, again, an aerosol is pretty thin and it's pretty hard to get much aerosol lubricant in, you know, deep into the chain, into the pin. You're just not left with a lot. So... Um, wouldn't recommend any off the top of my head at the moment. So, yeah, can you think of any yep. categories in your mind that I've missed in my little ramble there? No, I think I think those are all that that I'm aware of. And as you say, we don't need to go into all the subcategories. Uh, but but just for the listeners, then especially those that are maybe not so familiar with this topic, is it fair to say that for you, immersive waxing is is the one that you do personally and and like the like the most? Mm-hmm. And that if if you're fine with you know popping your chain off and putting it in a pot, that that's a, a really good way to go when it comes to the result that you get, but also the the time and financial investment in it. Yeah, absolutely. So I was, I guess, like a lot of cyclists um, when I started, didn't know a lot about this side of things and hadn't thought that deeply on it uh, and was just using what I thought was a was a decent wet lube. Um, and it, I like a lot of people, I think people get into, um, get a, a little bit of complacency about what's normal. Um, it's very you know, I guess common for people just to apply their wet lubricant, things go black, 
somewhere between sort of 3,000 and 5,000 odd kilometres. Their chain is sort of past the recommended replacement mark if they're hopefully tracking that. Uh, they buy a new chain, possibly a new cassette, and they go again. Things go black, and that's that's just kind of accepted as normal. And, um, yeah, it was really when, again, back in the very, very early days of Friction Facts when that first started and they did a collaboration with um, Velo News. And this was really when I sort of first saw um, Molten Speed Wax, where it took out the number one spot. And as soon as I saw the Molten Speed Wax, it was, to me, it was just like a Captain Obvious, man, that's that's going to be so much better. Um, and so you tend to find with immersive waxing um, that I guess people tend to fit into sort of about three categories. So there's going to be category A, which is like me, which as soon as they sort of hear about it, see it, and think about it for a second, they're like, that that is just going to be so much better for so many reasons. I can't wait to get on it and get switched. B is kind of like, okay, I can sort of I get it that I can understand why that's likely to be a lot better. Um, I think I would like to move to that, but I need to get my head around that change. It's a bit of a change for me. Uh, I need to get a slow cooker and you know be okay with taking my chain on and off. And all right, I'll get there, but just give me some time. And category C is pretty much, that's batshit crazy. I'm not popping my chain off to stick it in a pot of molten wax. Uh, are you kidding me? Like, what what planet are you from? So, um, but yeah, for me, and, and I guess a quick reason for um, people listening as to why immersive waxing, really, it really can't be beaten overall by a drip lube in a bottle yet, and I can't see how it will anytime soon, is that obviously as you're cycling around, you know your chain is completely exposed to the elements it's it's a pretty extreme lubrication challenge there's there's not many things really that that need to work so hard have great lubrication and are completely exposed to the elements and um and we don't really give the lubrication challenge on the chain i think uh, as much credit as or as much thought as what it needs so trying to just get people to think like if you removed all the seals on your bearings of your bike um how do you think your bearings would be feeling after say a thousand kilometers of riding, you know, would they, would your bearings be silky smooth um, and super low friction still, or would they be feeling, you know, rough, gritty, notchy, and obviously higher friction, high wear. Um, and so that's really the challenge for your chain, but your chain is, you know, much more exposed again, and it's working so, so much harder than what your bearings are working. And so as you cycle around and you just keep applying lubricant over the top of your uh, chain over the top of the old coating the i guess the ratio of contamination to lubricant in your chain is obviously continuing to degrade and get worse and worse and with a part that's working so hard even small changes will you know add up fairly quickly to you know notable increases in friction and wear um, with immersive waxing to, i guess for one it's what you what you're running on your chain is a solid so a solid lubricant coating has the highest contamination resistance that you can get to put on your chain. There's simply nothing that is going to resist contamination to a greater degree than a solid lubricant. Um, and secondly, whatever small amount of contamination is able to penetrate the chain, um, when you put that back into the the wax pot and melt your wax and recoat it, you're putting your chain back into a bath of basically 400 to 500 mil of 100% lubricant. So the old coating is going to melt off and it's all going to be recoated and reset back to near zero contamination again. 
So every time you re-wax your chain, so there's no there's no chain maintenance and cleaning maintenance and solvents to have to do. All you have to do is just re-wax the chain and everything is reset back to uh, a beautiful state again and you go out riding on a beautiful, silky, smooth, low-friction chain um, and everything just you know lasts literally on average two, three or even more uh, times longer versus uh, what people were you know, most often using before. Um, so... Yeah, just really. Can I, can I stop you there? Yeah. So, sorry, that that's uh, that's news to me. Actually, I, I listened to to a couple of other podcasts that you've done, but yeah. I never uh, fully grasped that actually, if you re-wax, you don't have to do the cleaning. Is that correct? You don't. That's correct. Yeah, do the cleaning. You just re-wax it. Wow. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, we do recommend yeah. if you ride in the wet, um, if you want bonus points. Um, so one of the advantages as well with the, the top immersive waxes like the Molten Speed Wax and the Hot Melt is that the wax base they use is um, just by, is a, it's a blend of sort of some really refined and, and pretty pretty um, high-tech paraffin waxes. So the, the paraffin melts above basically 60 degrees. So if you go out for a ride in the wet, <clears throat> And it's important, I'll, I'll put it at this point here, if you ride, if you do a ride in wet conditions, you have to basically pay the piper re your chain lubricant and um, what's going to happen. You've got to pay that one of two ways. One, you can not do anything, just add more lubricant over the top um, and you'll pay the piper in high friction and high wear because water basically runs right through your chain. It brings a lot of grit and contamination with it and so that is brought right through uh, your chain and it gets pressed into your lubricant and becomes part of that lubricant. And now that abrasive contamination has free shot at just, you know, abrading on your on your chain metal and wearing through your chain. So um, really, post any wet ride, you have to reset the contamination in that chain if you want to have your chain back to a low friction, low wear chain again. If you don't do that, then you, your your next rides in the sun are basically going to be from a frictional wear perspective like you're still riding in those harsh wet conditions. So now with immersive waxing, the the great part about it is, one, if you wanted to, to just re-wax, you can just re-wax and things are going to be reset brilliantly. Um, what's going to happen over time though from if you do constant wet riding is that you will import more contamination into your wax pot faster uh, if you don't do some level of intervention to to reduce that. Now, with the top immersive waxes, all you need to do is basically a boiling water flush rinse. So a boiling water flush rinse won't do a perfect clean, but it does a really, really good clean. It, it melts off the bulk of the contaminated wax, and that just really reduces the amount of contamination you bring into your wax pot, so your wax stays amazing for, uh, for longer. So I can do like a full mutter CX and put my chain through some boiling water flush rinses and when you're wiping the chain dry you can just feel a silky smooth chain um, you don't feel that grit and crunching or, you know, which which you often feel when you're doing those first cleaning rounds of a, of a drip lube chain so it's super easy you can either just re-wax no cleaning whatsoever or if it's been a wet ride bonus points for a boiling water flush rinse dry pop it in the wax pot and that's done so your cleaning is just done with boiling water that's it um so yeah the the i guess the comparison if you've got a drip lube chain let's say you're running say even let's say a wax drip lube chain if you just add some drip lube over the top of that you're going to be applying say five mil of a wax lubricant over your chain uh, your chain is over 100 links long 
So you're applying basically um, you know 0.05 of a mil per link of your chain. So that's how much fresh lubricant you're putting on top of your chain over the top of the old coating, which has now been contaminated with a whole bunch of abrasive uh, stuff from you know from the water and from the road. So there's only so much that adding 0.05 of a mil of fresh lubricant over the top of your old coating can do to reduce that ratio of contamination to lubricant. So you just obviously you don't get a great result. So you do have to, if you want to reset that, you do need to reset your chain yourself post-wet rides. And so you weigh up what's easier, taking my chain off and pumping a bunch of solvent bars through it or trying to pump some degreaser and so on through the chain while it's on the bike and doing a uh, pretty average job of you'll do something, but it's not going to be great. Um, Or do you pop the chain off and stick it in a pot and turn the pot from off to low and, you know, the, the, the melted wax is going to take care of things for you pretty brilliantly. So, yeah, that, that's one of the key um, major benefits of, of the immersive waxing. Um, a lot of people think that immersive waxing is going to take more time because they have to take their chain off and melt wax and so on. For like almost everybody, on balance, immersive waxing saves a ton of time versus what you need to do to try to maintain um, a drip lube chain because the cleaning's already always done for you. Yeah. Yeah, no, that makes total sense. And uh, I'm happy to admit mm-hmm. that personally, I mm-hmm. mean, the reason that my chain cleaning and lubrication goes so well, goes so quickly is probably that it's a very poor job <laughs> that I'm doing <laughs> with not even doing the multiple rounds of, of yeah. solvent and, and so on that you suggest and doing it all on bike as well. So mm-hmm. I can't be in that category too that, uh, yeah, I, I can completely see the benefit of this and just need a little bit of a uh, of a push to, uh, to take the, the step to start doing this, but it will happen, yeah. I'm sure. Um, so let's discuss a little bit around the, the different per- benefits that you uh, that you can have when when you do immersive waxing, and also comparing just the best case and worst case scenarios in terms of any sort of lubrication. First, in terms of performance uh, and uh, what's lost or saved to friction, uh, depending on the level of chain optimization that you're doing, can you discuss mm-hmm. that? Yeah. So. Um... Chain optimization, I sort of class a little bit separately. So that's more of like a full race chain when we're sort of talking about optimization. Um, are you more just talking in general, sort of like your normal uh, chain that you'd be riding around on the differences gen- between? Gen- gen- general terms, let, I mean, I think we can cover the spectrum. So the full optimization, mm. but then also the, you know, the normal immersive vac- vaccine that we talked about and then yeah. uh, really quite quite average or slash poor job of uh, uh cleaning and lubrication that probably a lot of bikes do suffer from yeah cool so um i guess to start so the raw numbers that we sort of get for just the outright efficiency so your top products like your top immersive waxes um on a good chain um are going to be somewhere around you know around about that sort of four watt mark so you know that's a nice low friction chain and Lubricant performance out, so outright efficiency will vary a fair bit by lubricant. So you, people probably will have seen, you know, various sort of loss figures for for some lubricants that range from sort of four watts to five to six and so on. So, Paul, there are some lubricants out there that people will select that will definitely be, you know, they'll, they'll be even on a perfectly cleaned uh, chain and and perfectly well lubricated chain with that product, they'll be 
you know, maybe on a five, six, seven watt lubricant choice as opposed to, say, a four watt lubricant choice, which would be your, your good immersive waxes. And worst case scenario, some of the worst lubricants ever tested have been in that sort of eight to nine watt loss mark, which is pretty bad. So you can get, even if you've cleaned your chain perfectly well, um, you know, grabbed your chosen lubricant and popped it on, realistically, there could be anywhere between most times, say, a four to a seven watt chain. So about a three watt difference between your, your really good and your um, not so good lubricants. But from there, things can change. Once you start writing, things can change quite quickly. So again, this is where something where what makes a great bicycle chain lubricant really is a bicycle chain lubricant that is able to stay low friction. And the only way the chain lubricant is going to stay low friction is by not absorbing the contamination from the environment that it's exposed to. Now, how rapidly that occurs obviously depends on where you're right. So um triathletes uh, or, or this particular channel there are probably less mountain bikers and gravel riders and cyclocross races in there than some other channels but obviously in those environments it's super super important to have the right uh, product choice so for anyone who does ride off-road um, just obviously take note that running a wet lubricant and off-road is just a really really bad idea um, because every particle of dust is going to stick to the wet lubricant on contact and that's just not a great way to go. So wet lubricants really struggle. So all the testing that I've done, you know, obviously my test protocol has uh, clean blocks with no contamination and then I've got a dry contamination block and wet lubricants always, always struggle a lot compared to the top, um, say, waxes and chain coating type lubricants where the dust just basically bounces off. So off-road wet lubricants, not not your smartest choice, run with, you know, a good wax emulsion lube, chain coating lube, or immersive wax. Um, on the road, so really, um, you know, how that lubricant is going to, I guess, resist absorbing airborne dust and contamination. Now, there's going to be more of it than people think. Um, and if they're not sure on that, then you just, I guess, kind of have to look at how quickly your chain tends to go black um, from when you've cleaned your chain and put new lubricant on it. How, how long does that stay uh, the same color that you put the lubricant on. And that's normally not super long. So there is more airborne dust um, out there just riding around, even in dry road conditions than what you will think. And, you know, so some lubricants are going to increase. They're going to absorb that and it's going to become part of the lubricant and the lubricant will get more and more abrasive. Um, and depending on what you're running, that's going to happen at obviously different speeds. So really you want one, what makes a great, uh, bicycle chain lubricant is one that's able to stay clean and low friction for the longest period of time. So that's where, again, your immersive waxes are pretty much unbeatable because they're solid. And then every time you rewax, you've reset that back to near zero. Your chain coating type lubricants like your um, UFO drip, your Silka Super Secret drip, and so on, again, extremely high contamination resistance. Uh, so even though obviously just reapplying over the top uh, most often, they just don't – they take a long time to shift, especially for for dry road riding. They just take a long time to, to creep up in, in efficiency losses. Um, and then it starts to vary a bit more. So you've got your wax emulsion lubricants, which, again, tend to be pretty good at resisting contamination. You've got top wet lubricants. So some of the top wet lubricants um, that we've tested are, for instance, your Silka Synergetic. And a lot of the top lubricants work – or the top wet lubricants, the way that they are able to stay low friction for a very long time is that 
They work by needing so really so little of them to be applied to provide brilliant lubrication in your chain that they stay cleaner for longer, if that makes sense. So you're applying a very small amount of these lubricants on, you work them in, and then you're wiping the chain um, clean very thoroughly. So you want to remove all the excess lubricant from the outside of your chain. If you've got lubricant, especially wet lubricant, on the outside of your chain, that is just going to have every particle of dust stick to it on contact. So you, the cleaner you have your the outside of your chain, uh, especially for a wet lubricant, then the cleaner it is going to stay in the lower friction for longer. So top lubricants like Silk is Synergetic, um, they, they really stay very clean um, and, very, and remain low friction for a very, very long time. Uh, also, recently tested Revo Lubes. Uh, that was outstanding. Uh, so I'll be hopefully working on a detailed review for that uh, when I can. And uh, Rex Black Diamond, that was that's also been outstanding. So uh, there are some great wet lubricant options there for those that don't like the waxes or wax uh, emulsion lubricants and want a, just a really top wet lubricant. For road riding, a top wet lubricant can be a great choice for a lot of cyclists because all of these top wet lubricants have a very long um, treatment lifespan. So you typically get a very, very long stint per application of these lubricants. And and because, again, you, you're not needing to put much on and they're, they're staying low friction and cleaner for a lot longer, their maintenance intervals are a lot easier to obviously ma- you know, maintain and deal with versus a lot of your sort of you know wet lubricants that you tend to pile on and things get pretty thick and... There's just a lot of black mess there to have to deal with. So, yeah, so that that's really, I guess, the, the, main, the main consideration always is what is going to stay cleaner for longer and therefore low friction for longer because obviously cleanliness is going to be low friction with the exception of those dry lubes I was mentioning earlier. Yeah, and and if you let yourself go and you don't clean it even after riding a few times in the rain and uh, and your chain really starts to get dirty and and all the yeah. contamination accumulates yeah. on it, so, how how many watts are we talking about then in in that sort of scenario? Yeah, again, it's going to depend a lot on the lubricant, but conservatively, um, at best, if you don't do anything post wet rides, conservatively, you're going to be still looking at a multiple watts increase. Really, even for the best lubricants, um, if you do any sort of decent wet riding, um, that it's just um, yeah. There's just no avoiding what the water is going to be sort of bringing in. That they just it just hoses your chain with dirty road water. There's a lot of lot of crap that gets brought into your chain. Um, and if you sort of keep going, so if you ride in the wet, don't do anything and just continue to sort of add more lubricant over the top, do some more wet rides, uh, and not do anything. Uh, you'll see that pretty quickly in in your drivetrain wear rates. So, um, what what you think about? So, some people might think, ah, oh, if it increases by two or three watts, uh, maybe that's not so bad. Um, or if it increases by even sort of three to five watts, is it really something I I need to worry about? <clears throat> so, really, one way to think about it is that you know, let's say it increases by a conservative three watts um, over uh, you know a decent wet ride or a, a couple of decent wet rides. You know. That's three watts of energy. Um, if you get a three-watt torch, that can be a decently bright torch. So um, it's three watts of energy, basically every pedal stroke, that you're putting directly into wearing through your chain and drivetrain components um, as opposed to having that three watts of energy from your pedaling going into propelling you forwards further with each pedal stroke. So 
you're literally just that that energy losses is going directly into eating through your drivetrain that much faster and yeah that's just not the best way to to go if you can it it does add up to quite a bit of expense um so and this is where that sort of um complacency complacency thing comes back again where a lot of people just accept as normal the chain and drivetrain lifespan that they've experiencing now or have been experiencing for a fair while and really for just a little bit of focus on this area you can just get so much more lifespan out of your drivetrains uh, again if, if you can't for most most people listening if they can't get you know two or three times um, more lifespan out of their drivetrain if they're just on a random choice um, you know by going to one of the, the top recommended choices then I'd be I'd be pretty surprised. So that's that's pretty much what we see all the time, and especially if you're you're running higher end uh, group set components, the the cost to run difference for your uh, you know for your wallet adds up to be quite something. So you know it's it's a bit different if you're running riding around on Shimano one hundred and five. You you probably don't you know really have to be as um, focused on things if you're not worried about what's losses at all. Um, really your lubricant choice but if you're riding around on Dura-Ace or you know Ceram Access Road you know I mean th- this stuff costs a fair bit so really if you train a bit and you do sort of 5,000 10,000 k's in a year and you're on a just a meh lubricant choice and you haven't really um, just put that little bit of time in post wet rides to to reset contamination you know literally the cost to run difference per year can be such that, you know, if you are coveting that new helmet or new glasses or new kit, new shoes, a lot of cases you could probably buy all of those as opposed to what you're just spending on burning through drivetrain components. So that that side of things, that cost to run side is, is something that we're really trying to drive home a lot. Um, that, yeah, I mean, your chain again, it just does so much yeah. work and, yeah. You have some great examples for this in calculations on uh, your website, but do you have anything in front of you? Can you give a specific example of of savings uh, that uh, that just might illustrate for the listeners and and be yeah. a, a nice example to to pick? Sure. Yep. So I'll pull up some um, cost to run data on my. Do, do, do. So, so I do. So based on the the wear rates that I get through the uh, the zero friction cycling test, so. Um, and I won't go through all the tests because it'll take take too long. But it, the test is run over thousands of kilometers, and it does have obviously um, contamination involved. So it's much more sort of real world realistic than just your lab based or clean lab test for uh, outright efficiency. And based on the wear rates uh, that we see, and then also you know the the lubricant um, cost itself, the lubricant usage rate, and then coupled with how fast are we wearing through the chain and therefore cassette and chain rings, we can then extrapolate out what the the expected cost run would be as a ballpark. Like every cyclist is different, their power is different, where they ride is different, but as a, as a, just your, you know, ballpark using the same, you know, correlation for each lubricant, we can compare one lubricant to, uh, I guess, to each other. And so if I look at, um, so dry road conditions running in Ultegra 11-speed uh, group set, Cost to run per 10,000 kilometres. So sitting on top at the moment, we've got uh, the Molten Speed Wax with a new formula at uh, only $101.60 or thereabouts per 10,000 kilometres. So that is factoring in the cost of lubricant and parts wear. So that is extremely, extremely low. 
Uh, I'll go to uh, lubricant choice in the middle. Um, so Squirt comes out at $369. Um, and then we've got right down the bottom, uh, Muck Off Nano, uh, which is supposed to be very good lube. It's a very expensive lube, um, but just return really high wear rates. That's one thousand, uh, basically $1,200. So we've got an $1,100 difference between basically the top lubricant tested and the worst lubricant tested on the Costa Run table for Ultegra. Now, if we move to a more expensive group set um, where wear rates become much more important, so for Durace, we've got Molten Speed Wax at uh, $240 per 10,000K, uh, all the way down to the worst is still Muckoff Nano at $3,750. So we've got a basically a $3,500 Costa Run difference per 10,000K between the top and the worst, and there's a lot in the middle that are sort of sitting around the, the $1,200 mark. Uh, so compare, say, $1,200 to that sort of $200, there's still a $1,000 cost to run difference uh, per 10,000 kilometres for uh, a Durace uh, group set. Um, that would likely be worse again if I modelled out for Axis Road, uh, especially if you're on Axis Red where you've got a $700 cassette and extremely expensive chain rings, especially if you've got the integrated power meter. Uh, and so on. So, um, yeah, that's a, a quick snapshot. So, but we've got yeah all the lubricants sort of publicly tested so far on that table. Um, and yeah, if uh, you want to save, you know, so for a lot of people, it it will be somewhere between say five hundred to a thousand dollars a year for making sure you're on a, a really good lubricant choice versus just an average lubricant choice. And it can be a lot worse if you're on one of the worst tested lubricants, which um, which become very abrasive very quickly. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've seen those numbers before, and I've heard you uh, talk about this before, but I'm still shocked to to hear just yeah. how big those differences are. It's, yeah. it's quite amazing. Yeah, well, some can be. So, I was just going to say one quick point. So, what I'm going to, it's right. We'll cover just on what I was talking about before: re really, lubricants remaining uh, clean for as long as possible. So, one thing I'm just really trying to cover off is so Markov, which are a bit of an interesting company, re lubricants. Uh, they have for a lot of their lubricants a UV light to make sure that um, you can check that all of your chain is coated in lubricant. Now, making sure that all of your chain is coated in a wet lubricant on the outside of your chain is a really, really bad idea. So you're just going to end up with a black abrasive sludge for a chain in pretty short order. So as I was, what I was saying before is that you want really good lubricant inside your chain and you want to remove all the excess wet lubricant from the outside of your chain to attract as little uh, contamination sticking to it as possible. So that UV light where people, they literally go and use that to make sure that all of the outside of the chain is coated in a wet lubricant that ends very badly. So don't do that if you have seen that. Uh, so it's something that's actually been supported by a number of um, cycling media outlets as a really great idea. And I, <laughs> I don't know why. It's a really, really bad idea. Uh, so don't do that, please. Yeah, no, I hope that Makov gets in contact with you and, and uh, start consulting, <laughs> that you can start consulting with them and, and help, <laughs> help correct yeah. that. Uh, that doesn't sound smart at all. Um, 
So you mentioned there earlier about the completely race-optimized chain. So perhaps we can go mm-hmm. back to that point a little bit and discuss what is a completely race-optimized chain and uh, what, what are the performance benefits mm-hmm. of that. Yeah, excellent. So um, what we call, let's say, a race-optimized chain or a fully-optimized chain. Uh, so as opposed to just getting a new chain and cleaning off the factory grease and then applying the um, uh, your sort of chosen top lubricant or uh, putting it into an immersive wax, uh, these chains will start with a um, control break-in. Now that break-in will vary a bit by chain, um, so I can't I can't give exacts, but um, some chains come in a I guess a fairly broken-in state already, or, or a bit of a looser tolerance state, like a Durace chain. Um, other chains have what we would say are a fairly normal tolerance, so like your um, your YBN chains and uh, and KMC chains, and then um, and also Campy uh, and SRAM tend to be really, really tight tolerances between, uh, especially between the roller and the inner plate shoulders. And so um, your Shimano chains typically take a shorter break-in. Um, your more normal tolerance chains will have a medium-length break-in, and if it's a SRAM chain, then typically that'll be a, a, a pretty long break-in. Um, but, yeah, so breaking, doing a break-in with the factory grease is step one. And so that is, yeah, it's a controlled break-in. Uh, obviously, it helps to be done in a very clean uh, environment. So if you're doing this yourself at home, if you think I want to make my own race-optimized chain uh, and you want, you're going to, to break that in, do that on your ergo. Don't do that by riding outside. Um, and post-breaking, uh, typically, so again, for, for us to, to sort of do this uh, professionally, then it's going through quite a number of ultrasonic cleaning rounds. Uh, there's a little bit to ultrasonic cleaning. It's actually it's not that hard. There's just a few little key steps and points uh, which would take a bit to cover on a podcast. But I've got it all in a, in a race chain prep guide on on the website. Uh, but yeah, from the break in, bunch of ultrasonic cleaning rounds, and then uh, again for us. So for myself uh, and others that sort of do it uh, professionally, it then goes into say the wax. So it might be um, you know sort of either hot melt or molten speed wax. Uh, the wax is ultrasonically applied, and it's uh, it's fresh wax for each chain. So uh, it's not wax that's seen sort of chain after chain after chain. Um, the wax is then broken in, and then depending on on the the wax, it may also then be powdered with a with a race powder. So some uh, like Mont Speed wax have a race powder as well. So there's there's a bunch of steps that it actually takes quite a lot of labor time to do all of this, which is where the main cost comes in. Um, it, you're pretty much just paying for a whole bunch of labor time to, to take the chain through all those steps. Um, now, the benefits to that, um, they're, they're not on the surface massive. So you should expect to be able to get a chain that's about one watt faster versus if you did, say, took the same chain and did a really, uh, I guess, good clean of that chain just via the container method and then um, wax that chain with the top wax, like say a molten speed wax or a silica hot melt, or if you're applying a really fast drip lube like UFO drip. Um, and that, so that one watt, it may not sound like much on the surface, but um, when you think about it, if you're taking a really like a very well clean chain with a top uh, lubricant product, to get one watt faster than that just flat out takes a lot more steps and labor to extract that extra watt out of what's already going to be a well prepped and fast chain. So you're going to get basically for a, for a well done fully optimized chain about a watt quicker than you will get for that same lubricant choice if you just did a clean and wax or clean and lube. Um, 
I guess the kind of the good news with that though is that it's it's pretty much going to stay that what quicker. If you look after it, it's pretty much going to stay that what quicker. Um, and and where I guess this might lead into the other bit is um, you know should you have a I guess a dedicated race chain or a fully optimized chain and a training chain. Uh, and the answer is basically if you if you race. It's pretty bonkers to turn up to a race on the same chain that you've just hammered out your last X thousands of kilometers of training. So even on the best lubricants and the best maintenance, um, there's going to be some losses. The chain, again, it just works so hard and it's got so many moving parts. You know, it's going to, the, the first thing to go on the chain is going to be its low friction coating. And then as some, you know, wear comes into play, it's going to start to lose some efficiency. So depending on, again, your power, your environment, uh, how many thousands of kilometers and what lubricant, you know, if it's on, say, molten speed wax or hot milt and you're really sort of keeping on top of re-waxing that, the losses are not going to be massive. Maybe it's a watt or so every sort of few thousand kilometers. If it's a drip loop chain, you can expect that it's going to be obviously a, a decent bit more than that. So it might be two watts, three watts, even if you've been looking after it. If you do a few thousand kilometers in your chain, it's just going to lose some efficiency. Um, and so... You know, no cyclist of really any. If you think think of one world level cyclist, or even really, hopefully not even a national level cyclist, who's going to rock up to a race, uh, especially say an important race on the same chain they've just smashed out their last few thousand kilometers of training, doesn't make a lot of sense. So, when you've got a dedicated race chain, apart from you know, whether you get a fully optimized uh, one that you you know buy fully optimized or whether you decide to look to do an optimization of that chain yourself by following the steps uh, that we've got on the website um, even if you just simply have a dedicated race chain um, that you keep basically mint for races obviously it's going to be fast on race day versus your training chain and you know in between races obviously it makes it really really easy to, to just look after that chain perfectly and reset it back to to, to mint again ready for the next race and, you know, sooner or later, everybody needs a new training chain. So when your training chain is getting near to that 0.5%, um, you know, recommended replacement mark, you just move your dedicated race chain over to be your next training chain and you're buying one new chain as per normal to be your dedicated race chain. And so it doesn't cost you any more uh, unless you're paying, obviously, the extra to have a fully optimized uh, chain. Just having a dedicated race chain itself doesn't cost you any more. You're just pre-buying one chain and keeping that. Uh, obviously as your as your race chain and that will save you some nice watts on race day so if you've got the fully optimized you're going to have the fastest chain that you can and it's going to stay that you know that that extra bit of speed that you've extracted from it it's you look after it and it's going to stay that extra bit faster uh, the entire time so it's yeah it's a it's not an investment sometimes people think that they buy a race chain and it's oh that's a big expense just for that one event you know you can absolutely easily re-optimize or just keep that chain mint and super fast for the next race it's not just that that one race that you've got that race chain for so if that makes sense mm, yeah yeah no that, that's all great information and, and just one follow-up on that uh, the breaking period uh, when comparing the long versus the short breaking period just ballpark numbers well, how long of a period are we talking about yeah cool i like ballpark say <clears throat> around 20 minutes to around sort of 40 minutes to around an hour-ish. So, and so okay. again, just a, yeah, just a nice area. So there, there is some information out there. I've seen some, uh, you, I think there was one YouTube channel where they recommended a 400 kilometer break-in. Um, that, that would destroy the, 
you go out and ride 400 kilometers with factory grease that's your chain well past broken in um that, that's pretty much sort of knackered that one as being a, a race chain so yeah so it's actually it's shorter than what people think um it's really just to get the uh there will be some very tiny um, metal particles in the chain from manufacture and it's really one it's about sort of getting those making sure that they are definitely going to be absorbed in the factory grease uh, so that when you clean the factory grease off that the metal particles are definitely all coming out with it and it's also about just a little bit of that conditioning of the the chain surface um, you know with that factory grease on it so you, you can improve that that sort of surface of the chain a little bit um, just by by doing that, and then really again your ultrasonic cleaning rounds. If you if you go in the ultrasonic path, they will ensure um, better that you're getting all those metal particles out, um, as opposed to what you can do just by an agitated container bath. Um, and so it's, it's it's a lot of little things that that will add up to that that gap versus just a clean and and lube. And other than having a dedicated race and training chain, I think it was on the Endurance Innovation Podcast that you also talked about the use case for maybe even having multiple training chains. So can you talk a little bit about what what that use case was? Yeah, absolutely. So that's really for either a like high volume trainers, uh, so people that are really clocking up the kilometers, um, and uh, definitely if they're on the say the immersive waxing path. Um, that you can just make it really, really easy to to stay on top of that. Uh, or if you tend to ride a lot in um, you know wet weather conditions, where trying to maintain just the one chain again, it's going to be pretty hard work. So, for instance, we've got a you know a lot of um, sort of with the local good races here that are on um, the the immersive waxing. You know, they're doing sort of four hundred to five hundred kilometers a week. So, to get the best out of that, um, to not push wax treatments and get the maximum lifespan. Really, that would be sort of waxing once or twice a week, uh, which you know if they're, they're training a lot and working and so on. It can just be a hard balance um, to, to you know, try to keep on top of. Whereas if um, you're doing 400 to 500 kilometers a week and you've got two training chains, you can say run one for Monday to Friday, one for the weekend, and just re-wax both on on rest day. And it's pretty time efficient to wax a couple of chains at once. And by doing that, each sort of wax treatment it's only going for sort of somewhere between 200 to 300 kilometers which is well within the wax treatment lifespan and like literally so i've been doing this for a bit over five years now in that time nobody running two um training chains on say molten speed wax no one has worn through those chains to 0.5 percent wear before they bought a new bike and started over so a lot of avid you know racers and, and trainers will usually sort of change bikes every somewhere between sort of one to two years. So they're doing somewhere sort of 20 to 30,000 kilometers before they're buying a new bike. And they're able to do that and they're still on their two training chains and they haven't had to change anything. And for the same period, you know, in the old drip loop days um, where they were, let's say they were averaging 5,000 kilometers per chain, well, they would have gone through six chains and somewhere between three and six cassettes, depending on how good they were when they replaced their chain. So it's a pretty big difference in the amount of components and costs that you're going through on that. Um, and so similarly, if you ride a lot in the wet, so again, it's it's not feasible for some to train, uh, do a wet ride, come home, re-wax the chain, do the same again the next day, do the same again the next day. So for those that are riding in the wet, 
there's a bit of a misconception that um, waxes, you know, I guess, immersive waxing is not suitable for wet. That if you ride a lot in wet conditions, you should use a good, you know, heavy wet lube. Um, but again, going back to what I was saying before, like, it doesn't matter what lubricant you use, you ride in the wet, it is going to get contaminated and it's going to get abrasive. It's all about how easy is it to reset that back to low friction again post your wet ride. That's that's the real key point. And so nothing is easier than immersive waxing uh, for doing that. All you have to do, though, is if you're riding all the time, so you might ride in the wet one day, wipe the chain dry, pop the chain off, wrap it in a microfiber cloth that's dry, and that's going to protect the chain from starting to oxidize or rust um, for you know a good few days. You're going to be absolutely fine with it uh, wrapped up in that cloth. Pop your next chain on, and so same thing. So some people, if they ride a lot in really wet conditions, especially if it's you know um, salted roads or just it's just often really wet, they might even have say a third training chain. So they're doing it chain one, chain two, chain three, and then once the third chain's uh, had its turn, then it's three chains going into the wax pot to be rewaxed. And again, it's super time efficient to rewax multiple chains at once. It really doesn't take any more time than waxing one chain. And then you've got three chains all set to go again for the next uh, rounds of, uh, of wet riding. And again, you just yeah. it just get such enormous drivetrain uh, longevity benefits from doing that. And all you've had to do is just pre-buy one chain or pre-buy two chains. So again, you're not, you're not really spending any more uh, riding in such conditions or doing such mileage. You're going to need a new chain not too far down the road anyway, especially if you're just on, we're just on a, you know, an average drip loop. So you're just pre-buying a couple of chains and then you're on a system that is going to just keep on running nice and smooth and very low friction day in and day out for a very, very long time. Um, so that's the main use cases for, for multiple training chains. Um, and it's really mainly used by those who, are, as, I, as I mentioned, are immersive waxing. Um, is it benefit for you if you're not immersive waxing? Um, absolutely. If you're a high mileage um, cyclist um, clocking up yeah, tons of Ks, by having two training chains that you're rotating, so you might just run them, you know, one chain for one week, one chain for the next week. It's great then if in the off week for one chain, if you're able to do some good maintenance to that chain while it's off the bike, uh, gives you an like an easy opportunity to try to do that. But even if you don't, let's just say somebody's running two training chains um, with their chosen uh, good lubricant and they're not doing any maintenance because they don't have time. Um, running two chains the benefit of that is it's going to ensure that you get two chains through your cassette as opposed to just one. So the main danger with a lot of people running just the one chain, especially if they're riding high mileage or riding a lot in harsh conditions, is that the chain will typically rip past the recommended replacement mark before they've realized. So once that chain gets past that zero sorry 0.5% recommended uh, wear replacement mark, What's happening then is your chain has become obviously elongated past really the point of tolerance for the, the teeth on, on your cassette and your chain ring. And every time now when the roller comes around to slot into your um, cassette teeth or your chain ring teeth, it's hitting the tip of those teeth and it's sliding down the face. And the second part as well is that as it gets more and more elongated is the chain is going to sit higher on those teeth under power. It's not going to sit right down in the trough like you want it to. And that causes a lot of wear to the cassette teeth and to your chainring teeth. And so you can do as much wear, you know, in a thousand kilometers when you run the chain past 0.5 as what you did in the previous 5,000 kilometers, you know, leading up to that point. So, and the other thing as well with drip loops is, is to really remember that chain wear is not linear. 
So with, with say, immersive waxing, chain wear remains very, very steady, very slow and steady, very easy to stay on top of. If you're just running a wet lubricant, you know, of random wet lubricant and you just keep adding more, initially your chain, uh, obviously the lubricant in your chain is going to be relatively clean for the first half of its life versus what it's going to be in the second half of its life where it's just continued to get more and more contamination as part of the lubricant. And some of the protections that you have on the chain, like its low friction coating, are going to be compromised and gone. So sometimes people can check their chain wear after, say, two and a half thousand kilometers and think, ah, it's looking pretty good. And then they check it again 2,000 kilometers later and it's completely ripped past the, the wear replacement mark and they get surprised by that. And then they go to put a new chain on and the new chain doesn't run on the old cassette. Now it's now jumping under power. They ran the, the old chain too long. So by running two training chains, you are basically guaranteeing you're going to get two chains through your cassette. You're going to double the lifespan of that cassette um, versus if you let one chain run too long. And you're also obviously going to slow down the rate of wear to your chain rings by quite a margin as well because you're able to just keep that, you know, the chains are running longer um, in that lower wear state um, versus if you're just, you know, ripping through one. So again, the more miles you do, especially in harsher conditions, run two or even three chains, get two or three chains through your cassette and make very little inroads into your chain rings as opposed to just hammering the one which is going to hammer everything and often get you caught out. Mm, yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. And uh, can you just take us through, at a br briefly, at an overview level, what is the immersive waxing process like? How long does it take and what, what are you actually doing just to give a, an illustration of that for listeners who might be interested in, in getting on that train? Yeah, excellent. Um, it's actually, it's a lot easier than what it's often made out to be. And there are some videos out there that show it to be vastly more complicated than it uh, should be or is. So it's literally, um, so uh, to, to immersive wax, you need to you'd be running a master link on your chain or a connecting link as opposed to a pin. But basically, you've got a, a master link tool and you just pop the master link open, which will then enable you to just remove the chain from your bike. Uh, you then thread the chain onto what's called a swisher tool, which is basically just a bit of wire bent into like a, a sort of a, a U-shape uh, or a square U-shape. You just thread it onto that. You pop the chain on top of the uh, the wax in the pot and you turn the pot onto low. So all of that, once you've done that more than once, that will take you all of basically 60 seconds to remove the chain, thread it onto the swisher tool and pop it on top of the pot of wax and turn the wax on. Then you just go away and do fun stuff. So go have a shower, have something to eat, run around. Um, just come back whenever, uh, later when the wax is melted and swish it around in the pot for 15 to 20 seconds. Then you remove it from the pot, let some excess wax drip off and then hang it somewhere to set. Um, bonus points for those who set up to hang their chain over the pot so the excess wax uh, drips back into the pot. So but once again, once you've done that and you've got your setup then swishing the chain and hanging it to set. Again, should take you somewhere around about one minute. So we've now got sort of two minutes total labor time. Um, then all you need to do, once it's set, so the wax will set fairly hard. So you, you'll be able to almost hold the chain out straight um, or, or half the chain out straight without it, uh, any links bending. So you just got to what's called, what we call break the wax bond on the links. You can do it one by one with your thumb. Um, that gets a little bit onerous. Uh, if people see on my um, YouTube channel, I've got a video demonstrating how easy immersive waxing is where I just break the, the bond on the first few links and then I'm just pulling the chain around something that's cylindrical. 
Um, so that's then you just pull the chain through and it breaks the wax bond very quickly and easily. So again, once people have sort of set up themselves for that, breaking the wax link bond should take you about 30 seconds and then you just need to reinstall the chain back on your bike. So you're just threading it back through your, uh, over the top of your cassette and chain ring, loop it through the derailleur the same way it came out and reconnecting the master link. And again, once you've done that, about a minute and a half maybe to do that. So the whole breaking the wax link bond and reinstalling the chain should take you about two minutes. So you've sort of got one minute, one minute, and two minutes, so about four minutes total labor time, um, and that's a rewax. So four minutes is maybe three minutes more than just adding a drip lube and wiping the chain. But I guess, yeah, the, the key point to remember in that is that you don't have any of the back-end maintenance time. So it's all everything's taken care of in that four minutes and keeping everything super low friction, super long-lasting, uh, and it, and obviously it's super clean. So your your drivetrain always looks looks amazing, um, and yeah, you're not spending that time with solvents and degreases and fighting a black mess. And the other thing with that is as well, just from the environmental side, is that um, where are all these solvents um, ending up? So we sort of often just think a little bit about what we're sort of doing ourselves in our own little bubble. But if we think about, say, tens of millions of households around the world maintaining their drivetrains as best as they can when they can using some form of degreaser and solvent, and where is all this stuff ending up? Um, you know, we can do better. So uh, using products that obviously are super clean, remain super clean, and don't need any solvents to maintain them, um, again, that's a, it's a good step. So... Uh, that's why we very heavily recommend the the top products that we do because they just don't need the solvents to to maintain them. That's fantastic. So so you need obviously the the wax itself. Then you need a, a do you use a dedicated pot that you only use for the waxing? Yes, and, yes. You uh, don't want to don't want to use the same the tools? pot. Yeah, yeah. So pretty much you just need um, the master link pliers to pop the master links on and off. Uh, you need um, a swisher tool, which is basically you literally can just bend that out of a coat hanger wire, um, so you don't need to buy a tool for that. Um, once you've seen what the swisher tool is, um, by looking at the website, you can make one in in very short order. Uh, you, you do need a, um, a slow cooker or what's called an instant pot um, or a crock pot. So either of those options are great. Uh, they heat the wax nicely. Um, you can't use a rice cooker. That's where people go a bit wrong. Um, rice cookers blast the heat in really quickly. Um, so they heat the wax faster than it likes to be heated, and that does break down the paraffin's long-chain molecules and, and kills its lubricity. So the wax doesn't like to be heated super fast. And the other problem with rice cookers is that once they heat up to um, 100 degrees, which is their cook temperature, they then automatically switch to warm, um, and warm is only like 60 degrees, which is right on the wax's set point. So if you go away and do something as opposed to standing there and watching the wax melt, which is uh, you know, not the most useful um, you know, way to, to spend your time, you go away and you come back later and you remove the chain at that really low wax temperature, you're just going to pull out a huge ex- excess of wax or there's going to be so much more wax on the chain than what you need and – that that's also one big mess when you install it and pedal it back on your bike. So, yeah, slow cookers are uh, bad. Uh, so don't 
be tempted to buy one of those, even though they're a nice size and they're really cheap. Uh, it, yeah. Rice, right? You mean rice cookers, right? Yeah, or, rice cookers. Sorry. Yeah. Because slow cookers were okay. Yeah. Yep. Did I say slow cooker was bad? Sorry. Um, must be getting late for me. Yeah. The, yeah. Um, yeah. The, yeah. So rice cookers, sorry, are very bad. Don't get a rice cooker. Must be a slow cooker is number one preference or a crock pot, which is basically the same thing depending on what country you're in. Uh, or what's called an instant pot, which is uh, also called a multi-cooker. In, in Like in Australia, they've actually called a multi-function cooker. An instant pot is something where you've got, say, the choice to um, steam, broil, yogurt, slow cook, um, all those kind of things. And so you just set it to the slow cook uh, setting and you can set the temperature on the norm- normally. Uh, so you just set it to, say, 90 degrees and start, and they, they tend to also just heat the wax at a, at a nice rate. So, yeah, um, instant pot or multifunction cooker, slow cooker, um, and crock pot. Uh, not a rice cooker. And also, uh, people sometimes around the world do strange things. Uh, don't use your stove. Don't use your barbecue. Don't use your microwave. Don't use your oven. Um, that's where waxing goes really sideways sometimes. So, you just have very, very poor temperature control. Uh, it's very easy to just completely overheat the wax and kill the wax. Um, or again, like uh, if you've got a gas flame or a you know, gas barbecue, you've got a naked, naked flame. Paraffin is flammable. Um, if you And if you overheat it um, past a certain point, it can flash ignite if you get it really, really hot, like a, around 180 degrees or so, uh, which people have done. And this is where wax has the... Some some places try to make out immersive waxing as being potentially dangerous. It is if you do stuff like that. Um, if you use a slow cooker um, or any of the options we mentioned before, immersive waxing is the same level as danger as boiling your kettle. Um, it's it's pretty much zero um, unless there's something really wrong with your kettle. Yeah, perfect. That makes sense. Uh, just a couple more questions here. We're getting mm-hmm. uh, towards having covered everything, but I want to ask about the chain mm-hmm. itself and how much that, uh, how much impact that that does for your overall friction. Basically, are there large differences mm-hmm. between different chains in terms of performance or durability? For example, between a, a Durace or Shimano One Hundred Five and, and similar kind of different levels of chains. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Uh, yeah, there is. Um, there's there's probably more difference than um, what people will think uh, again. So, um, like, uh, Durace chains really fast. Um, and I know the Campy Record 12 speeds really fast. So, that the fastest chains are around about the sort of three watt mark with the fastest lubricants. Um, and then you've got chains that are what we'd say are good. Uh, so, they're really good chains uh, that are sort of going to be around the four watt loss mark. And there are some chains that are pretty slow um, and they can range from pretty slow to really slow. And they do tend to be, say, your um, SRAM chains and your Whipperman chains have just never really tested with either friction facts or ceramic speed as being particularly quick. Um, so if you're on, say, for instance, Axis Road, um, they're just not a very fast chain. I think the data from... Um, the, the CS lab was, I think they were around six and a half watt loss. Um, and that's a 250 watt load. So you've got, say, a six and a half watt uh, loss chain versus, say, at the really pointy end, a three watt loss chain. So there can be a good sort of three watts between the fastest and slowest chains, even in the 
top tier stuff. Um, we don't have really much data for your lower tier uh, chains, such as your you know 105 and so on. Um, all I can say is that they will definitely be slower. They just don't have the same low friction treatments that the fast chains have. Now, um, the, the other side of that is there's not necessarily a correlation between um, a chain speed and its durability. So, I mean, there can be, but not always. So, for instance, um, my testing, um, and it's, I guess, disputed by, by KMC, which is, which is fairly natural, but um, my testing has shown that the KMC chains didn't do very well in terms of longevity at all, um, but they always test out nicely fast. So speedy chain, but not very long-lasting. Um, things like your, say, your Durace chain have medium longevity, but they're really nicely fast. Chains like, say, your YBN and Campy. Uh, so Campy's again very fast, YBN decently fast. So they're pretty much so usually ran within a watt of your Durace. But the YBNs have got a really good longevity benefit. So they, they really stay in their sort of optimal zone a very long time. Um, they've got about 50% greater longevity overall versus, say, Dura-Ace. So they, they can be a bit of a way up uh, for people depending on what they're going for. Uh, and again, uh, now the SRAM chains, which tend to be on the slower end, but they also tend to be super durable. So the Axis uh, chains are a really durable chain. So they do have that going for them. It would be handy, though, for those that are racing, um, especially with your sort of integrated aero bikes that have a lot of Axis, you know, wireless um, drivetrains on them, would be handy if they had like a time trial chain that was because you don't have any fast chain options if you're on access rows. So like if you're, for instance, uh, running uh, the other group sets, you've got options of what chain you want to run because they're all basically an 11 by 128 chain. You can run on your bike, uh, YBN, uh, Shimano, a KMC, um, a Campy. You can run whatever you like. It's going to be running perfectly fine and happy. Um, the brands themselves will say differently, but you know, it would take a brave person in a to blind test the difference between the chains on a, on a you know an eleven speed drivetrain. Uh, with Axis Road, you you have to run the Axis Road chains. They're a completely different standard. They're much thinner, and they also have oversized rollers. So you can't run a different twelve speed chain like a Campy twelve, which is a super fast chain. You can't run that on your Axis Road uh, group set because. Um, Obviously, the, the cassette teeth and the chainring teeth are made to fit an oversized roller, so it would be like putting a chain on a really worn group set if you tried to run uh, that other chain on, and it would be too wide. So uh, even though they're both 12-speed, the, the access road's a lot thinner. So you have to run the SRAM access road 12-speed chains. You don't have any other faster options. So, um, yeah, it would be great if SRAM bought out um, like a time trial chain um to go with their offerings because you know a three watt gap between say an axis red and a say a durace or a campy 12 that's that's a sort of i guess a decent gap just to give up in a chain um so yeah not a lot you can do to negate that though apart from obviously just run the best lubricant options that you can uh because if you're not that Six yep. and a half watt figures going not, it's not going to be six and a half watt. That's a fully optimized race chain figure. Um, it's going to be higher if you're not doing yeah. that. So, got it. No, that's, that's a great summary. And uh, that brings me to um, can you, if you choose just 
one to three points that you want to highlight from this episode that if if a listener listens to this and uh, maybe some things are a bit over their head right now but but you yeah. want to just point out one to three things that that people should remember or take away from this episode what would they be yeah okay so first would probably be that uh factory grease absolutely has to go uh don't believe what you may have seen or read elsewhere um we have a mountain of evidence not just from me but from other very, very uh, clever people um, like Jason Smith and many others that have looked into this factory grease has to go. Um, I guess the second would be that, yeah, immersive waxing is really not hard at all. And in fact, usually on balance saves people a lot of time. It will absolutely save you a lot of um, friction and wear, um, especially just day in, day out in your in your training. And it's going to save you from using solvents as part of your uh, maintenance uh, and no solvents is is a very good thing. Um, and I think lastly, uh, yeah, if you're not really, if immersive waxing isn't for you, that your best lubricant is going to be you know, a lubricant that's proven that it stays clean and low friction. Um, and so typically the, the best are your chain coating type lubricants um, if you're not immersive waxing. So that would be your UFO drip and your Silka super secret drip your true tension tungsten or weather um they they just stay super clean and super low friction and that means super low wear um and i'm going to sneak in a fourth if (laughs) if those options aren't for you there are some brilliant wet lubricant options out there um they're likely a lot more than what i've been able to test so far my testing takes a long long time because it's it's very sort of time intensive going for thousands of kilometers but for some people that really a wet lubricant is there that's their wheelhouse that's what what they want to stay with it's what they know uh something like your silka synergetic your revo lubes or your rex black diamond you're going to absolutely love those um versus likely what your random choice may be at the moment that you've sort of stumbled on it is likely you will get at least double the lifespan out of your drivetrain and maintenance is going to be a lot easier because they stay so much cleaner for a lot longer versus the majority of other wet lubricants and they, they've just yeah, proven through the testing to be have such low wear. So uh, again, I'll apologise to any wet lubricant manufacturers that have a brilliant wet lubricant that I haven't been able to test yet and uh, given an, a recommendation or endorsement uh, like that. But uh, yeah, we'll chip away and as more become known, then they'll be updated as well. But they're, they're the three absolutely brilliant ones that we know of so far. Yeah, yeah. Check out zerofrictioncycling.com.au for the, the latest on that. And uh, which brings me to what is next for you and for Zero Friction Cycling? Um, it's a good question. Um, at the moment, uh, things are just really flat out on all fronts. So that's, uh, that's a ton of fun. Um, the only thing is I'm, I'm sort of almost a bit scarily behind on a lot of my um, – I have an absolute pile of detail reviews to, to try to get to and uh yeah and testing works pretty flat out and as the um the i guess the retail side obviously continues to just sort of grow which it grows from obviously the 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 testing side of the business um and the information side uh yeah that that's just sort of got me pretty well flat out as well so um yeah so it's just really going uh yeah kicking along merrily on all fronts and so i've my first plan is i I have to get um a bit more balance into sorting out staying on top of the project and testing side uh, as well as the retail side um this was only ever planned to be a hobby um business um 
and it's kind of exceeded that mandate um, by a bit. Uh, so I, I really I should I should put on a staff member to run the retail side of zero friction cycling to enable me to concentrate properly on the testing and uh, and project side. Uh, but I just don't really want to have um, staff. So <laughs> uh, next step for me really is to try to get a bit better balance of the the workload uh, between those two sides of the business and uh, catch up a ton on the project side. Longer term, um, zero friction cycling is probably going to, I think, outgrow what the plan was. So I will either have to put on staff, um, you know, or I may have to split off one part of the the business and just keep one, you know, the, the actual sort of test and project side to myself. Um, still have them kind of linked, but sort of have have them separated out. So that I'm currently deliberating with myself a bit. Um, sometimes I think I can I can do it, and then sometimes I look at the the, the workload backlog and think, "Oh, that's exciting." Um, I might need to think further about do I need to get someone on or or, or sort of separate that that part off. So yeah, so it's. It's a good problem to, to have and so it's something that um, I actually really appreciate where, you know, I've been – I feel quite sort of fortunate in that um, once I'd Zero Friction Cycling had reached a sort of certain stage in, in its testing and um, uh, that it was sort of supported by, you know, some people in the industry uh, that really, I guess, liked what um, Zero Friction Cycling was doing to help really bring better information um, to this side of cycling because it, it does it's not just about saving watts for races to me that the the main driver is saving a lot of drivetrains from an early death by abrasion and saving a lot of solvent use um, and degreasy use around the world that's ending up who knows where um, so you know putting the being able to I guess put out there in lights what are the genuine best products for people to choose from that's going to suit their cycling and suit their their uh, you know I guess what what their preference is for uh, their lubricant choice, and also bringing some accountability because there's so much marketing that it's it's super hard for people to try to work out. Man, this this product's been launched and it's claiming all these magnificent things. You know, is it you know is it real or, or, or is what they're claiming correct? And unfortunately, you know, a lot of times it, it can be that it's it's not the reality for that product. Maybe nowhere near the marketing, even if it's got the marketing's got some pretty flashy data to go along with it by that manufacturer. So, like we, we've got some of the products that that we've tested that have obviously launched with enormous, you know, powerful marketing behind them that have turned out to be the highest wear lubricants that we've ever tested by quite a big margin, and and that just really, you know, should be, uh, to, you know, to me held to some accountability. So, yeah, so um, I guess it's sort of been uh, fortunate in that a number of people have really supported what. Uh, which sort of zero friction cycling has really been sort of driving to do, and and that support is just sort of as as you as zero friction cycling starts to get a bit more known, um, you know, getting in, invited onto say you know so sort of podcasts like this and so on, we just become more widely known around the world, which means that you know both the testing side and the uh, the retail side just continues to to really kick along strongly. So that that's been um, something that's been yeah obviously a lot of fun, uh, and it's kind of exceeded what the uh, initial plan and uh and focus and goal was so i i need to reset some uh new plans based around the uh yeah the the, the fun sort of pleasing uh, volumes where we are today 
Yeah, well, good to hear that you are having these kinds of good problems to have and uh, well-deserved for, for all of the, the hard work and the very detailed and demanding testing that that you've been doing and information that you've been providing to people. Uh, so congratulations on that. Uh, let's uh, finish off with uh, just the rapid-fire questions. Uh, so we take one sentence to answer each of these. And the first Whoa, one is, what's your that's not my favorite point. book or resource? <laughs> Um, so favorite book, I don't actually read a lot of, um, nonfiction. If I, I think one would be cycling related faster by Michael Hutchinson. Uh, that was a great book, really well written, really liked how it was written. Yeah. Um, great. And, uh, what's an important habit that you benefited from athletically, professionally, or personally? Uh, oh, I could almost list one for, for all of them, but I would say overall, so athletically, I would say sleep, um, get eight hours in bed really helps. Um, uh, I think, yeah, personally, I think I'd, I'd say balance. Um, despite the workload, I'd like to balance uh, the time between obviously what I'm doing, um, you know, with family, training and, and workload-wise. Um, I don't like to yeah, work a massive day all the time because that's uh, – not what life's about. Um, and I can't remember what was the other one, sorry? Or was that already answered? Professionally. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I guess I guess the balance, balance can be both professionally and personally. The, the yeah, too. I think so. Um, apart, if I had to pick one professionally, sorry, I'm ruining your one sentence thing here, uh, I guess it would be just do something that you genuinely believe makes a positive difference and contribution. So, um, you know, that's something that I sort of managed to, you know, to, to get with, with zero friction cycling. But, yeah, I think if you've got that in your working life, then, then yeah, you're always going to be pretty motivated. So, Yeah, that's a very good one. And finally, who's somebody that you look up to or that has inspired you? Oh, it's another tough one. really should have prepped this. Um, we're in two minds. Uh, one mind, I, I guess you go for a big name, kind of like Elon Musk, something like that. He's one of the smartest brains on the planet and is doing some amazing stuff on, on uh, many fronts. Um, but I tend not to go for the big celebrity names really um, because they, also, they tend to have things I don't necessarily align with. Like uh, say with Elon, he works all the time, That's which I, I don't really – that doesn't call out to me. So I, I probably – Really, I would just I get inspired by just a lot of just good people that I see and get to you know talk to and work with um, all the time. It's just people that are working hard doing something that's uh, you know something really worthwhile and good, and that um, are able to balance you know a good job, family, and uh, and a good active life. So yeah, not uh, not a real major. Yeah, sort of celebrity or or, or key influential person um, yeah, that I that I really sort of get inspired by as such, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, absolutely, and uh, that's uh, that's perfectly uh, perfectly understandable. And uh, people can follow you, you on your website, zerofictioncycling.com.au. Other than that, can you mention what are the best channels? You mentioned a YouTube channel. Are there any other good good ways to follow you? Yeah, so I have um, relatively recently started on YouTube, which again wasn't part of the plan. So I'm not very—I don't think I'm very good for YouTube. Um, but I've had to start that because you probably noticed I'm not good at short answers. 
I'm not good at typing short documents either, so um, it became difficult uh, to really expect people to trawl through my very long uh, explanations on, on documents. So I had to start on YouTube to try to get things out in a manner that might be a bit more sort of palatable to uh, to people. So I've got the YouTube channel. So um, it'd be great for people to try to um, subscribe to that and engage with that because that'll hopefully get my information up ahead of some other channels' uh, information, which um, not to pick on other channels, but there's some really, really sort of bad information channels out there that lead people down all sorts of not happy paths for their drivetrain. So YouTube's great. And, um, yeah, I do put out um, usually a, a, what's called, a, I guess, a latest news update every sort of, you know, one to two weeks, which sort of updates uh, where I'm at with obviously testing, you know, any any uh, information on any high-profile lubricant releases that we sort of checked out or, or um, you know, what information we have on those, whether people should look at getting or not. Um, and there's actually yeah, a whole bunch of stuff that we sort of cover in the land of low friction. Um, so just stay tuned to either Facebook, Instagram, um, check in on the website to the latest news section and YouTube. And, yeah, people should hopefully stay low friction and save a, a bunch of money uh, every year on their drivetrain. Perfect. Well, you've definitely helped by giving us a lot of information to to achieve that. So thank you so much for that, Adam. I really appreciated it, and I'm sure that the listeners will have learned a lot as well. Uh, no, thank you very much for having me on the show. So, yeah, always an honor to try to ramble my way through my answers as I do and get practice it. One day I might even be concise if I get on, onto enough shows. I'll uh, be able to get my answers out better. But, <laughs> no, it's always fun. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, thank you. I hope that you enjoyed that interview. As always, you can find the show notes on scientifictriathlon.com with links to Zero Friction Cycling website, YouTube, Instagram. And also uh, remember that you can find related episodes, in this case perhaps a broader related range of all cycling-related episodes uh, that have been published on that that triathlon show by simply going to the website, to the podcast page, and uh, filtering for cycling. We have a nice filter there that you can use to find all the episodes of any given category. If you're interested in taking your triathlon to the next level, consider uh, looking at our training plans or coaching services. We've helped hundreds of athletes and hope to help you in the year to come to achieve your triathlon goals. Uh, Don't hesitate to reach out if you have any questions about training plans or coaching services. Next Monday on the podcast, I interview Dr. Andy Kirkland, who is a coach of coaches and a coaching educator with vast experience in both coaching and in sports science and exercise physiology. If you aren't already subscribed to the podcast, do that now so that you don't miss any new episodes when it, when they are released. Finally, big thanks to our sponsors, Precision Fuel and Hydration, that you can find on precisionfuelandhydration.com. Use their free online sweat test and quick carb calculator to understand your fluid, electrolyte, and carbohydrate needs and individualize your uh, fueling and hydration strategy. And book a free video consultation with the team to refine it. Use the code TTS22 at checkout for 15% off your first order of fueling and hydration products. And thank you to Roka that you can find on roka.com. Check out their wetsuits, trisuits, swimskins, goggles, and exceptional sunglasses and prescription glasses for everything from day-to-day wear to extreme action sports. Use the promo code that you can get on roka.com forward slash TTS to get 20% off your entire Roka order. Thank you, as always, for listening. Keep training smart and keep loving triathlons.